One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Parenthood Podcast. We pride ourselves on talking about every aspect of parenting, and today we're going right back to the very beginning, before you're even pregnant. For many women, conception is great fun. It involves sex, sometimes it happens by accident, often it happens without too much thought. But increasingly women are making a conscious decision to get pregnant, and often finding it harder than they anticipated. So whether you are just thinking about trying for a baby, have been trying for a while, or already in the IVF process, today's podcast is for you. With me, I have someone who has a real wealth of knowledge in this field. Emma Cannon is a fertility and women's health expert who spent the last 25 years supporting women and couples on the journey to fertility. What she does brilliantly is bridge the gap between Western medicine and the world of complementary therapies, focusing on giving impartial support and most importantly, helping individuals find the right path of healing that is unique for them. Emma, thank you for joining me today. I think one of the biggest problems we face when we're not getting pregnant is that we don't talk about our problems. You know, people keep this whole baby making thing a secret and then often pregnancy a secret until you've got to 12 weeks. And that's fine if it all goes to plan. But when it doesn't, it can be upsetting and demoralizing and bewildering and you don't have answers to your questions. Do you find that that's a problem in in your practice that people just don't talk about things? Yes. Hello, Maureen. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, yes, I think um, yes, I think keeping things close to your chest is, can serve a purpose up until a point. Um, and I think it, there is quite a lot of shame surrounding infertility um, and and pregnancy loss. And I think often people feel that they've their body has let them down, or that they've um, they've succeeded at everything else in their life, and and this they have no control over this. So there are lots of reasons why people don't want to talk about it. Um, um, but I definitely think that it helps when you do. I I do see a bit of a sea change where people are becoming more open, but it but it is slow. Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't have to be the whole world. It can just be a small group of friends, and you're also then opening up to potential other tips or you know you might not have have thought about seeing every type of practitioner you might have gone down the very traditional medicine route and not not sought advice outside that and that can be a real game changer can't it yes and I think our community the people we choose as our tribe and the the people we choose to share these things with this is really important and it's one of the things I do encourage people to do is to build their community and in that community there might be a trusted friend there'd be a consultant there'd be you know complementary therapist uh, whoever you know somebody that you can can rant with someone you can <laughs> laugh with you know that all of those aspects really help us so so I do I do talk to people about building their little tribe of community so let's talk a bit about infertility I mean broadly speaking it's not conceiving 
Yeah, so the, the nice definition, um, infertility is defined as the inability of a couple to get pregnant despite having regular unprotected sex for a period of two years. So that's, uh, that's quite shocking for people because some people panic after two months. <laughs> Absolutely, I panicked after one, I think. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, I, and something you said in the opening I think is really important is that we have have changed the emphasis you said something really important which was they start trying to conceive and it's that pressure that you put on yourself when you start trying that I think has caused this almost artificial feeling of infertility or problem Um, and we'll talk about later but I talk about this sort of barren thinking And, and some people panic after two months and and I, I've, I've had people sitting in front of me that will go to the doctor and say, I've been trying for six months when they've only really been trying for two because they want to sort of mm. push things forward. Uh, but, but what they're doing is they're, they're placing a lot of drama and tension on that for themselves as well. So I think that is a common problem is people panic very easily. But when you look at the statistics, the infertility is only defined as infertility after two years of trying, then it does sort of make you see that... It, but it's not it wasn't it wasn't that easy it's not that easy to get pregnant I think we think it is well we often you know we've spent the lives up until that stage our lives trying not to get pregnant and and going to extraordinary lengths and and panicking I mean I had a friend who'd taken the morning after pill two months that later she was trying to conceive but it was such a sort of it the time wasn't right and then the time was right but our bodies don't really work like that, do they? No, absolutely not. And I think that one of the problems is, is that we, we don't have a relationship with our with our gynecology or our fertility, except for please don't let me be pregnant. And then when we want to switch it on, we want it to happen immediately. Now, that's not to say that just because infertility is only defined as infertility after two years that you have to wait and, and do nothing. Of course, because we're leaving it later, it's very important that you are proactive. But, but I think what I'm trying to get across is maybe don't panic, don't go into that straight into fear mode that is not going to happen and I think that that is probably what's being what goes on quite a lot I think. So the NHS defines infertility in not conceiving uh, uh, within two years. Yeah that's nice nice guidelines. What would you suggest for couples who've been trying and properly trying you know this Mm. is and you have to have sex quite a lot don't you this isn't sort of once a week when you remember this is how how frequently should you be having sex ideally? Well, I think um, the, the ovulation sticks and the me- and the apps can be a problem because what they do is they make us feel like we've got this huge amount of control and actually makes people limit their sex life down. So as soon as they start trying, instead of having sex throughout the month, they start trying to pinpoint it around these few fer- supposed fertile days in the middle of the month. And I don't really suggest that that's a good approach. I, I don't think you should really start with apps or you know, or, or machines, and, and maybe you can do it further down the line. Um, I think to begin with, it's probably better just to, to carry on having sex in your normal pattern, but yes, increasing it around the middle of the cycle. So um, it's good to have sex throughout the month because it helps the sperm turn over. Um, the only case that that, the only time that isn't true is if there is a, a low sperm count, in which case you probably are better saving it to the middle of the month. Um, but around the fertile window, I think having sex every, every other day. So if you you have a 28 day cycle starting to have sex you know day eight and having sex every other day is plenty and you're going to hit the window that way that's so much better than having to you know having sex twice around this 24 hour period um and i think that's one of the common mistakes that people make is they put this enormous amount of stress on themselves 
quite early. So sex goes from being fun to going, it becomes baby making sex, which isn't nearly as fun. <laughs> <laughs> How long, if there's a couple that is having sex frequently and trying to conceive and they're not, how long do you think they should leave it until they seek advice? My my approach is slightly different in that I think that preparing for pregnancy, you know, rather like you prepare for a wedding or rather like you prepare for anything else in your life, you know, an exam. You know, I think preparing for pregnancy several months, three months before you think, you know, softly that you're going to start trying is a good idea. So if you're going to come off the pill, come off the pill, you know, spend a few months looking at your diet, seeing if the, you know, the cycle's regular, engaging in your fertility, but in a positive way. So I really encourage that. And I think the the amount of time you wait is very individual, because if you've had polycystic ovaries or you've had endometriosis, clearly you're going to have to to sort of go to a a consultant or or be referred on the NHS more quickly because you already know there's potentially a problem. But for somebody else, um, depending on their age, I think you can wait nine months to a year before you really start panicking. But obviously, if you're 41, that window's going to be a lot smaller. So, and increasingly, that's what we see. We see women who meet somebody later in life or it's a sec, you know a second serious relationship or you know a relationship broke down um, just as they were about to start trying or because they had started trying and so e- every single couple is very different so when I sit with a couple it's really about finding the right pathway for them and sometimes I'll refer them straight away and sometimes we have a window of time to really improve things. And you mentioned sort of that preparation period I think that's a really good idea because I mean the more that I sort of experience women who are at various stages of pregnancy and preparing for the birth of their babies the more it becomes apparent that a woman's psychological well-being is really important in the whole pregnancy thing it's really important with the birthing I see so often on the bump class that you know women who are desperate to to go into labor because they want their baby to be born something will happen so their husband will come back from a long work trip or the house will finally be ready and that will kick off labor and and when women sort of say to me what can we do should I drink endless raspberry leaf tea and eat lots of pineapple and have lots of sex and curries I would say I think probably the best thing you can do is just try and relax and try not to will it to come that your body trust your body that labor will start when it's ready presumably there's you know that's quite similar when it comes to to conception yes and it really depends on the problem because i th- i think um you know telling women who are struggling to conceive and who've struggled to conceive for a long time to relax is is not going to quite stressful them. in itself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not the right thing to say um and you know for for many women there's been a long and very difficult journey and there are block tubes and and things like that so that the obviously relaxing isn't going to make any difference but there is some evidence to suggest that stress is counter is is not good for fertility um and there was a study done um an american study where they looked at i think they looked at 500 and yeah 500 couples and um, it was over a 12 month period and they found that 29 there was a 29 percent reduction in of infertility um in the couples who demonstrated high levels of stress so yeah 29 percent is quite high um and they had various different stress measures on this um but i i always kind of define stress in two different ways the stress of our own making and the stress that we can't avoid actually a little bit of stress 
is good for us. It motivates us. It gets us up in the morning. It motivates us to want to make a baby in the first place, you know. Um, and so a little bit of this sort of fight or flight is good. It's what, it's what keeps us alive. But what happens is there's another kind of stress, which is the stress of our own making. And that's the stress, the sort of obsessional stress, the Google, the comparing ourselves to other people. It's that sort of stress that's more corrosive um, because it, it seems to, uh, to generate more anxiety in the body. So that's what I really look at because that's the stuff that we can change. Um, you know, we can't affect, we can't all leave our jobs or we can't all, you know, have a, a different route to work. Um, those stresses are going to be there. We've all got to pay the mortgage, given all of that stuff exists. But that stress that we can choose, you know, we can choose whether we go on Google and, and look at all these horror stories and we can choose whether we compare ourselves to other people. And, and that's what I really coach women away from, that kind of, that kind of barren thinking. So you mentioned barren thinking. Yeah. Um, I, I like the term um, because obviously, I mean, that's just one of an, another example of how sort of medicine can make women who are struggling feel even worse about themselves. There are plenty of those in, in obstetrics. Um, but but what, what is barren thinking? Just that negativity or? Yeah, it, it's that coming from a place of lack. It's negativity. It's there's never going to be enough. If um, there's never going to be enough babies to go around, there's never going to be enough money to go around. If someone else is winning, then I must be losing. It's that sort of really competitive, um, kind of com uh, internally driven. Um, uh, it's sort of like almost like ambition, but in the negative part of ambition. It's that sort of really overpowering desire. And, and Zen Buddhism has a really nice way of describing it. You know, what I want people to do is I want people to engage, but I don't want them to hold on too tight because that's when you cause the tension. And I had a, a lovely woman in the other day, and she was talking about trying to conceive her third child. And um, there were two women at the school gate, you know, that she often talks to that are also trying to um, conceive their third child. And they got there first. And this was a big issue for her. And I could see it because every other area of her life, she'd always won and she'd always succeeded. And I said, you know, it, th th she's, and she said, I know, it is jealousy. And, I, and then I feel shame because I, I feel ashamed that I feel jealous and that I'm, I'm uh, this desperate and that I'm comparing myself to, to these women. And there is, you know, a lot of that does go on as well. And of course she knew she's incredibly lucky because so many of my patients were just long for a child, you know, let alone two. So there's so many layers to this. And I, I think we talked about it in the other podcast about that idea of, you know, there's no hierarchy, a loss is a loss. You know, for her, not being able to conceive a third child, I guess, is... is you know, for her, it's as painful as someone who hasn't got any children. For somebody who hasn't got any children, of course, their loss is their loss and they're going to feel it in their own unique way. So it's very individual. Yeah, and I think that sort of guilt actually around, you know, when a baby's born, everyone should be happy and rejoicing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're, we're recording this podcast the day after the latest royal baby was born and yeah. the whole of world is, you know, certainly the whole of Britain is, is excited. And, and I always think, back to women that can't conceive or are struggling to conceive yeah. and, and the impact that all of the news stories which are all about this new baby have on them and it's, it's no one's fault it's yeah. certainly not the royal family's fault but 
I think, you know, also when it comes to supporting people who are struggling with fertility, just being aware that when there's sort of big news stories that you're often feeling a bit more vulnerable and a bit more tearful, but feeling guilty about it too. Yeah, absolutely. And on Mother's Day as well. I mean, I always, you know, I always post that, you know, just a desire to, to want a baby you know, we're all mothers already, you know, and actually I really encourage women to, to mother themselves and be a mother to themselves first. And by that, I mean, you know, all that nurturing and all that love that you want to give to, to your child, give that to yourself for now until you have that child um, and, and not to be too hard on yourself. And, you know, I think that's really important. I think you know, learning to to mother, and some maybe maybe some women weren't weren't well mothered themselves, um, and so just to spend some time and use that time on the road to becoming a mother, to really look after yourself. Yeah, it's good practice. Yeah, and we all need <laughs> to learn that, even when we become mothers. <laughs> yeah, um, but that, there's a, there's a whole. I mean, I, I made a list of all the different. You know the different stresses because I think it is difficult for people to understand where the stress comes from and I mean they're, they're many and varied and uh, if it's okay well, should we go through yeah yeah let's go let's go through yeah, it. so, so I, I literally did write a list before today and one of them is lack of information so sometimes it can be very difficult and frustrating to get the the information that you need which is exactly why people turn into mini doctors and and head for Mr. Google um, because they're, they're desperate for answers and desperate for information. So there can be a lack of information out there. And Google is often not, not accurate either. I mean, just because someone puts something on the internet doesn't mean it's right. No, I know. And there's a scary amount of sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, a fertility smoothie, for instance, or the top 10 fertility superfoods. I mean, if it was that easy, there, there would be no problem. You know, it, some of this stuff is so simplistic, whereas as, so as to be laughable, really. Um, so, yes, and that comes on to my second point, which is too much information. <laughs> so, um, so there's a conflict and there's a dichotomy there, because at the one hand, you want to arm yourself with information, but actually too much information can leave you in a position where you think absolutely everything that's said and written refers to you and and of course as a practitioner I see that everybody is entirely different so actually by trying to to navigate the system yourself you really can overload yourself with a lot of information which causes a lot of stress yeah I know I can imagine having that at your fingertips especially when you're just constantly wanting to know more and you're not necessarily getting the answers from whoever is is looking after your your health yeah so, I mean, it's, it's, it's all part of the same problem because there is a lack of information and people seek the information themselves and then that becomes part of the problem. So that information is a big part of the problem. And then the passing of time, I think time can pass very quickly when you're trying to conceive. And of course, that adds another stress. And, you know, for things like miscarriage, to be told that you have to have three before it's investigated and, and you might be in your mid-30s, you know, that, of course, you're gonna, that's going to make you feel stressed. So the passing of time, I think, is really... And at the same time, the media is going on and on about how dangerous it is for older women and to, to con- well, not to conceive, but, you know, to, to give birth. Um, and you've got this, this ticking yeah. time bomb. But my experience is, is this, is that, that we're not all equal. And you have, you know, I have increasingly have 43-year-old women sitting in front of me who are in great shape absolutely great shape you know they're really fit they don't drink they're you know they're really looking after themselves they're probably fitter than they've ever been in their life now I believe that that can that has a small impact 
you know, I think that um, if you look after yourself, it can make some difference. And also you have to bear in mind your family history. Some families go on, their fertility goes on well into their 40s, whereas some families, their fertility will, will decline very early, maybe in their early 30s. So there's, there is about a 10-year you know, time scale of difference, I would think. Because the menopause is one of the few things that is sort of hereditary, isn't it? If your mother had a, a late menopause, it's yeah. more likely that you're going to follow her, her, her route, I suppose. Yeah, and, and, and I think in, in, within that you have to say it depends how she lived her life and how you live your life, and it depends on the accidents and things that might happen along the way. But yes, it is definitely a factor, and I always ask women when their mother had their menopause. Mm. It's very revealing. Mm. And also, how, what is the fertility of that family line like? I mean, I, I had a, an Irish woman um, the other day, Irish Catholic, and she came from a whole line of women who'd only had one child. Now, that's quite rare. So that tells me something about potentially, it's not scientific, but, you know, potentially tells me something about the fertility of that family line. And I think that medicine now focuses so much on tests that it doesn't spend that much time taking a really good case history. But sometimes the source of the problem or the infertility can be found within the taking the case history. Yeah. Um, so either it's family line or it's lifestyle or it's other stresses, or it's an accident, a trauma that you might have had. Taking a good case history is really, really important. Um, so the passing of choosing a clinic, choosing clinics. So some people don't have a choice. Obviously, they're going to have their treatment on the NHS, um, but other people have people have a choice, and that can be really difficult as well. It can be really difficult getting your head around all the statistics and what they actually mean. So people going for IVF, choosing a clinic, choosing the right clinic can be quite stressful. Uh, the money stress, of course, because it's very expensive. Um, I know couples who who get themselves into a huge amount of debt just to go through the system. And the NHS will pay for, is it two rounds of IVF? Well, this is a very controversial area because, of course, now it differs from, from borough to borough and area to area. And um, some, some won't fund any anymore. And there is a cutoff as well. There's an age cutoff. Um, and there are weight restrictions as well. I mean, I think it's, I think it's right that there are, some, there are some restrictions in place, but I sometimes think it would probably, possibly a better way would be to, say, to give everybody a voucher and say, spend it where, <laughs> where you want to spend it. Everybody gets the same. You know, here's £5,000 voucher towards your IVF, and you do with it what you need to do with it or towards your fertility. And then people can choose, you know, rather than having this awful system where somebody in a borough next door will get three cycles and somebody in the next door street will not get any. I mean, I guess we've seen that with the schools, haven't we? See that with schools, but it also exists within the healthcare as well. So money stress can be really, really, uh, it can really divide couples. Um, a lack of emotional support, I think that's huge, absolutely huge. And it's so hard. I see, I see, you know, women really struggling and, and relationships really foundering because very often a woman becomes obsessed yeah. with, you know, trying to conceive and, and, and they, they then come at it from totally different angles. And yeah. especially then when you add the money side into it, it can, you know, you've presumably seen marriages break down before conception has even happened because the whole yeah. process has been so stressful. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, there's a, just a general lack of support from, you know, from, from the medical profession as well. I mean, obviously you can be really lucky and get somebody really supportive, but I think on the whole people would say that. And I think within a couple, one of the things that I say is, 
you know, there's that dance that goes on within a marriage. If you've got somebody uh, that's really keen for it to happen, then and they're driving everything forward, then the other person tends to kind of tend to sit back a bit. And and if couples need to kind of come up and meet each other halfway, I think. So I think sometimes women, it's not always this way around, let's face it, but I think generally speaking in this situation, it's more likely to be this way around, that women maybe need to take their foot off a bit so that the man can come up and sort of say, yes, no, I want this too, and he, can, he has a chance to get on board. Um, so it's a, I think there's a dance that needs to take place there between men and women. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's interesting talking about this support because obviously the support doesn't only come from uh, the husband. It, you know, Ideally, it comes from friends um, as well and, yeah. and family members. It's difficult, though, if you're a mother of, of children and you've never had any problems conceiving. How do you support someone who, you know, basically wants what you've got and, and not feel smug and that you really feel that you are helping? It's something I've always struggled with a little bit. Yeah, and I, th- I, just think, I think it's lovely that people are more aware. And I think I do say to women, sometimes you have to be the teacher in this situation. You want people to be able to second guess how you need to be supported but often that's really difficult. So I encourage women to ask for what they need from people. You know, say, this is the way that you can help me. And it, because it's, that's not to say that the other person, you know, shouldn't make an effort or try or that maybe they can ask how you need to be supported. But I think sometimes instead of being in that sort of victim place where you say, I'm just going to wait for everybody to guess and know exactly how I need to be supported, just be the teacher and say, this is what I need. You know, I just need you to take me on a good night out. I need a laugh. I need you to come to the hospital with me. Would you mind? The art of asking, I think we all need to learn. And and one of my big areas, and I go into it in my um, my digital program as well, is this, this idea of being able to receive. So being able to ask and being able to receive help that's on offer, because quite often there is help and support on offer. We're just not very good at seeing it or receiving it because we're so independent. Or, you know, the fact that we haven't shared this with people, as we talked about before, you know, you're sort of desperately struggling and it's all consuming. It's sort of eating up your life, but you haven't told your good friends who are sort of merrily sort of, you know, inviting you to children's birthday parties or making flippant comments about how annoying their children are and not really knowing that they are potentially really hurtful comments that are totally 
unintentioned. Yeah, sharing is caring, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. And and I and look, some people are incredibly insensitive, and and sometimes it does come from a place of ignorance. You know, it's uh, you know there are definitely people out there. I mean, I've heard some terrible stories um, of things that thought people have said that's thoughtless. You know, but. But equally, I think it's a much more empowering position to put yourself in if you learn to ask for what you need. So I really encourage women to do And that. also learn, I guess, to forgive the yeah. thoughtless comments and Absolutely. know that they weren't intentioned to hurt you. They were yeah. just thoughtless. <laughs> <laughs> Any other stresses on... clumsy. Yes. <laughs> um, Any other stresses on your list? Yeah, yeah. Poor communication skills, which I kind of think we've covered, actually. Um, the relationship stress, which we've we've covered. Family stress. I think sometimes there can be a lot of family stress. Like, well, oh, when are you going to have a baby? You know, <laughs> and and not being, you know, not being thoughtful about that. So I think that's quite a big stress. And not people not realizing that's a really intimate question. I that I was amazed after we got married, and so many people would say that to me. And then actually, I had a miscarriage, um, and then I could say to people, oh, I had a miscarriage, and that would often sort of floor them. But I just thought, I wish you'd think about asking I that know. question, especially if they've, you know, they've been. To together a while and they're of childbearing age then probably there is an issue and if you're sort of an uncle who you're not going to maybe say well actually we have been trying for three years you know you're yeah. not necessarily going to share that information with yeah no I know I mean it, it, you know and again it's a flippant it's a flippant you know it's it's a sort of question to fill a ga gap often isn't it and yeah but I, I mean it, it can be it can cause a lot of stress for people so then they start avoiding family situations or Christmas becomes this big deal so, I mean, there are so many places where there's a lot of stress with this. Um, social stress, I think we've, we've covered that, you know, constantly having to be happy for other people's, you know, joyful news. And, and especially when they say things like that, oh, we only did it once, you know, um, we weren't really trying, you know, it's the first time. I think that could be particularly hurtful. And, and again, it, it feeds into that sense of shame and sense of... of you know, frustration that women can feel with their bodies not being able to do it, or the fact that it might be a male factor and they're having to cover up. I mean, that happens within families, as you've, you know, the mother-in-law sort of looking, thinking it's the, you know, the female side, and actually it's her darling son. <laughs> so, you know, that can be another layer of, of stress. And that's something well. we hear about much less of, you know, we're constantly hearing about female infertility, but our men, I mean, they're probably much less willing and, and able to talk about it the women are I mean we, we weren't talking about infertility in women 20 years ago and now we are talking about it a lot but yeah. in men it's, it's it's a decade or so behind isn't oh it my God, it's still behind and it's a huge frustration of mine I mean actually the, the statistics show that 40 percent is um, due to male 40 percent to female and 20 percent of complications on both sides so um, you know it's a big issue and quite often um there, there can be a lot of bias towards a woman within the medical setting as well. And one of the problems with that is most fertility specialists are, are gynaecologists, so they're trained in female <laughs> health. So actually their understanding of male health isn't, isn't so instinctive to them. I mean, it's not to say they haven't got an understanding, of course, you know, but it's, they, they usually are gynaecologists who become fertility specialists. So there's already an emphasis. Well, and also it's often women saying, 
I can't get pregnant. Yeah. And it's not an I, it's mm-hmm. a we. You need yeah. two. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Um, and then work pressure. I think that sometimes women get trapped in jo- jobs that they're not happy in because they feel, feel forced to stay there because their focus is on their fertility or they don't want to leave a job that they're really miserable in because they want to hold out for the maternity pay but then the fertility takes a long time so they might be stuck there for three years when really they should have moved so that's that can be a big pressure too um the 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 drugs we haven't even mentioned the medication that people have to take the mood swings the bloating that you can get um, lack of sleep, um, steroids are used quite a lot now in fertility, so you can have ra- you know, raging moods, mood swings, all of that kind of thing. And, uh, and also the time it takes up. I yeah. mean, a friend of mine was describing her uh, round of IVF. She said, it's like having a full-time job. I'm it in is. the clinic every day, pretty much all day. And, yeah. you know, she wasn't working, but she said, I don't know how I, I just simply couldn't do it with a job. This is my job. Mm. Um, and I think that's what people maybe don't, understand they think oh it's just a few pills and maybe the odd injection it's not it's a it's a big time commitment isn't it yes it it can be especially in those some of the private clinics where they insist on having you come in a lot and um and obviously for a lot of people that not working isn't an option so they're having to do both and i've had situations where they've you know it's like maybe you don't want to tell your boss that you're going through fertility treatment and that that can give you that can be a stress do i tell them and then everybody knows my business I mean, hopefully you have a good HR department, but there's no guarantee if he's working small business or you might have, you know, it might not be a good HR department. Um, and then if you do, if you don't tell them, then you have to come up with all sorts of excuses or you have to use your holiday time. So there's a huge amount of stress. And also generally, last but not least, I think, and I'm sorry if I've forgotten anything, but um, putting your life on hold, not booking that holiday, you know, not... Um, putting family celebrations on hold because you don't want to be there or you know really people really put that can put their life on hold yeah buying the family house and then rattling around in it for five years yeah having those constant reminders of yeah it's it, it, it is really really tough and um you know, I think also people often plan when they're going to have their children to coincide with their friends or their sisters. And then very often it happens to one and it doesn't happen for the other. And you see those children being born and you see them growing up and you think, my child has lost that friend and I've lost that experience. And it puts a huge amount of pressure on. But in a way, that's pressure that shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of grief. I do think there's a lot of grief. And, and, and there's not really that much empathy. I mean, if you have a serious illness there's often a lot of support and a lot of sympathy and people would never tell you to just relax if you had cancer. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, with this, I, th- I think because a lot of the, the... I think people think that because you're not necessarily ill, you're not suffering. But I don't think that that's true at all. I think there's a lot of suffering. And it's such a deep um, instinct within us to reproduce that I think when it becomes a problem, there's just so much sadness and grief and and disappointment and also I think you know reproducing is why we're here it's the one thing we need to do we don't need to build motorways and spaceships and houses and but we do need to reproduce and it's almost like you you failed at the one thing you were put on this earth to do Mm. which is you know I'm not saying that's the right way to think about it but it's a way people do think about it it's the most yeah but and and that's really interesting because I think going back to this idea of fear and this um 
the tension that we cause, the part of the stress that we cause ourselves. And that is when we're in a place of fear, and this is my barren thinking, when we think there's not going to be enough or I've, I tried two months and now there's something wrong. And, um, you know, what that tells the body that it's not safe. So it puts us in this fight or flight. And so I really believe that we were de you know, designed to have babies when we felt safe and there were going to be enough calories available and we weren't going to have to run away from a tiger. Um, and I, the, the nervous system response we really need to be in is, well, they call it rest or digest, but I call it feed and breed. And that's more that the body is relaxed, it's, it thinks that it's safe. So safety is a really really important aspect to this feeling safe feeling safe financially feeling safe emotionally feeling safe with your uh, healthcare providers and that's the sort of environment that I try and create for my patients a, a sense of being held supported listened to safe understood um yeah and and quite often I say tell me how you feel I mean no one's asked them that you know, and it, it's that can really open up a whole dialogue that is can be really helpful for them. I mean, I think talking, just talking about how you're feeling, and some mm. people, you know, people don't have much time nowadays. You mm. often don't have conversations which are really constructive. They're often on the phone or in WhatsApp or mm. quickly, and that's not when you open up. So I guess sort of making time to talk yeah. to someone, whether it's potentially a therapist or. A, a, a practitioner like you or even just a good friend but making sure you have a good yeah. opportunity I mean I have a I go running twice a week with a good friend of mine and it's such a great time to download we don't run particularly fast it has to say but it's a great sort of I, I'd say it's one of the most sort of constructive um, times of my week because we have really good conversations you know when you're sometimes you see a friend and there's so much you have to catch up with. You don't actually get to you or those intrinsic emotions that are inside you that need to be sort of let out. Um, sometimes going for a walk, walking and talking or doing some exercise and having some other focus than just your conversation is a really good way to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to my building, building your tribe. Um, and in my program that comes under, comes under the banner of the fire, you know, it's that who are the people that support me who are my community and um i mean i've i've been through you know two serious health uh, episodes and gosh my friends was are so important to me and i've got my friend that i can laugh with i've got my friend that i'm dark with i've got my, you know my friend that i can rage with you know it's really it's really important and um you know i think i think this idea that we we're all coping all the time and that we're all perfect and flawless and that you know we've all got it all sorted out all the time we need to bust that myth you know we really need to to <laughs> to to cope less in a way and sometimes actually saying I'm not coping is the most authentic thing that you can say and then from that point everything can change yeah I mean, I suppose getting off Instagram and social media, if you're finding that constantly looking at pictures of your friends, babies being born or the birthday parties or, you know, you, know, you could, can't tell them to stop doing it, but maybe stop looking yeah. so much. You yeah, know, no exactly. one's going to be upset if you sort of think, well, I'm just going to have a sabbatical from Instagram for six months and, and just see if that does make you feel. Because a lot of what social media, it pretends to celebrate life and all the good things in mm. life, but really what it does is it makes people feel inadequate. Mm. And some people are more susceptible to that than others. And if you are feeling that it kind of gets you, makes you feel anxious or down, then maybe just thinking, actually it's meant to be enjoyable and it's not enjoyable it's not helpful 
let's give it a rest for a bit. Yeah, and it, and it can it can be helpful for some people because I think some people can build their community, at, at least part of their community. And I wouldn't encourage you just to have a, an online community. I think have an actual community as well, um, you know, where you talk and meet. Um, but I think it can be useful. But also, yeah, the dark side of it is that it can be it can trigger you a lot. And you know, I think that I think that goes back to take a break from it, but also. Um, just be kind to yourself and learn how to not compare yourself to other people. Um, you know, I think that's such a big lesson in life is that we all go through struggles at different times. You know, I know that sometimes it looks like every, you know, some people have it really easy. Maybe they do, you know, but scratch between the, sur- you know, under the surface is often stuff there, but you're on your journey. That's what's important. Yes. Other people can influence you and they can give you tips and things like that, but it is your journey and it's really important that you do it your way. Don't compare yourself to other people find the right way forward for you yeah we I, we sort of said that we were going to try and discuss a little bit about how people can support other people who are struggling with fertility and obviously we've touched on on a few things but I suppose that talking that taking time for them and allowing them to be as you said angry or dark or frustrated or happy yeah silly yeah. uh is is probably one of the best ways you can support a friend and and also not not trying to fix anything because your friends aren't going to be able to fix your infertility are they you know you're not going to come up with some amazing light bulb idea that will suddenly fix things no no and I think that's right I think sometimes you know people give unsolicited advice you know you should do this diet or you should do that diet I don't I think that's a very unhelpful thing to do unless somebody actually asks you I think actually putting giving too much information on people at a very stressful time that might be opposite to what their healthcare providers and people who with real experience you know are giving you I think it can be unhelpful now if somebody asks you you know, oh, I know you know a lot about this area. You know, could you, you know, could you help me out? I think that's very different. But just, and I know from my own experience, you know, when people just bombard you with stuff, it's you know, send you articles that actually have got no relevance to you at all. And you know, can it make you think like, oh, maybe I should be doing this too? And that's actually another stress. Mm. So although again, it's often well-meaning, people there are some people out there that want to fix other people and I think that that is their issue <laughs> and that, that probably they should find other ways to help so that that's you know there are ways of helping and there are subtle differences between really helping and not helping I, th- I actually think asking if you would like a meal cooked for you and then not making a big deal about it but just delivering it on the doorstep I think we talked about this in our, in our yeah. other one um, you know a good bit of chicken stock My, I've got one friend that provides me with chicken stock <laughs> and I need it um, and you know that that's just really lovely to, to come home you know if people have been going through IVF treatment maybe their appetite is altered they don't know what they want to eat they don't know what they fancy the last thing they want to do they know that they're supposed to be eating healthily but they don't know what to eat you know just drop a meal round. Those sorts of things, those little things can actually be huge. Someone to go to the hospital with you. Someone to sit there when you have to have an infusion or, you know, something. Or even just take you to the cinema and take you out of the yep. sort of reality of, of that day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've obviously spent many years supporting women um, in your clinic. Do you see, I mean, infertility has always been a thing. Are you seeing it change you know in the the decades since you've started working I mean are you seeing older mothers are you seeing that 
people are leaving it longer? I mean, certainly nationally we see a trend, don't we? Yeah, I mean, well, something different has happened in, in my practice is it used to be that people just used to come to me as a last case scenario so that I would see a lot of older women. But thankfully, I think because I've done a lot of work and people in my field have done a lot of work raising awareness, I do get younger women. I don't think that's a reflection on the actual problem because I do think generally people are leaving it later, but thankfully people are coming to me earlier because I think the modern day parents are much more aware um, that they want to become pregnant from a place of health and balance you know they're conscious parents yeah um, and this is very different to even my generation you know where well we kind of wanted them to go to a nice school and we wanted to paint the nursery a particular color but it was all pretty shallow <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think people want to have good you know I'm kind you know they're very interested in having healthy children and you know I, I think it, there is a slight change and they want to be healthy and they are very conscious of the fact that stress can have an impact on their ability to conceive or that you know if they're trying for a long time stress becomes an issue so um the sea change i've seen is actually that people are coming to be younger but i don't think that's a true reflection of actually what's going on one of the things that i have noticed um that has uh, in the last five years is I see more women with no periods and this is often from very restrictive diets and very intensive exercise routines and that is totally driven by Instagram and social media mm -hmm. not totally because we've always had eating disorders obviously in society but it is a big issue and I think some of these so-called healthy diets are, are hiding places for eating disorders they're a kind of you know a healthy front you know, um, and, and often women who um, think they have the healthiest approach to diet have, uh, are the most controlling about diet and have the most unhealthy relationship with food, actually. Well, it's often a great excuse not to be eating because you're not eating a certain food stuff that is, happens to be on the table in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that you don't want to eat, it's that you can't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so true. And and exercise routines as well. I mean, we used to, you know, you talk about running, we used to have a run run. Nowadays, you know, women are doing that every single day. You know, once a week you're talking about, but pe people do that every day. And then they're doing the weights and they're doing hit and they're doing all of this stuff. Yes, at some point, all of that stuff is healthy. You know, we all want a nice butt and a flat tummy, you know, but you're not going to have a flat tummy when you're pregnant so you know it's a good idea to to really step back and it, it can cause a problem with the hypothalamus and then that switches off the hormones that that allow you to have a proper menstrual cycle again it's that feeling of safety the body thinks i'm in danger there aren't enough calories available i need to go into a protection mode and then it, and it shuts down the feed and breed because it thinks oh well there's no calories available you know obviously i'm in danger this is not a good time to conceive. Body's really clever. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. Yeah. And also, you know, the fact that your periods stop is your body's warning sign saying, yeah. you know, and so you want to listen to it rather than think, oh, well, I do have a great body. Yeah. But I have no periods, but that's not an issue because it will be an issue. And it's not like you can just start eating again. And no, the longer it goes on, the harder it is to treat. So that I've seen a massive increase in that, especially in the last five years. And it's difficult to treat. Um, and and the other thing is, is I, I touched on it earlier, but it's that people panic very quickly. They get very quickly into this barren thinking because there's this perceived idea that it's going to be a problem. Um, and that is, I see that as a big issue.
so yes age is always an issue that but we gosh I mean you know the, that's all the newspapers ever want to talk about actually the biggest cause of infertility is anovulatory which means no ovulation so it's a much bigger problem yeah so you have had a slightly different approach to the sort of traditional, um, as we've heard today, you know, it's more about the sort of psychological and, and dealing with all the, the stress in your life. So was this the the sort of thinking behind your 90-day program? So you've got this 90-day program, which basically helps people who are struggling to get pregnant. Or, or anyone, actually any stage. So I deliberately made it um, very broad. So even if you're just starting to think about it, it will be helpful all the way through to people who've been struggling. And it's a 90-day process that really gives you tools so that you can really engage in it in a positive way. And I, I believe that anybody, whatever stage they're at, can fi- help find a positive way forward. Um, and there's always options. And I think when I, I wanted to kind of create what I do in the clinic which is helping people find positive way forward because that alleviates the stress when you know you have options or when you feel like you have choices or when you start to maybe just see things in a slightly different way um, suddenly new pathways can open up for you Um, and actually there's a lot of science now about um, neural pathways and this very negative fear-based thinking it carves neural pathways to pain and negative thinking and they're very difficult to break a a lot of people listening and I'm sure you Marina maybe didn't have records but we used to have records in my day (laughs) and when they got a scratch on them what would happen is the needle every time you played it the needle would go into that groove and it's a bit like that with our neural pathways so if you get a neural pathway to trauma if you lose a child or you have uh, you have that trauma in the system what can happen is it it triggers you to go fall into that neural pathway all the time so you're, you're almost traumatized and so your response to everything is, is trauma and so what one of the things I try and do in my clinic with acupuncture and other techniques and what I've tried to do in the 90 days fertile program is to to help um, re-populate um, the neural pathways or switch you into more positive neural pathways and there's lots of things in there with the uh, the tragus nerve and and breathing techniques and and mental t- techniques and also um, there's a six-day process in there where you have to highlight your um, self-limiting beliefs. So you have to work out what are, what, are, what are my thought processes that are limiting my experience in life. So it's a very broad program, but it's very layered. Um, and yeah, hopefully it will be, you know, fun and engaging and informative and positive. That's my hope. And the joy is that anyone can do it wherever they are in the world. Yes, yes, exactly. Wherever they are in the world. And I really wanted to reach out. I mean, I've been in clinic, stuck in clinic for 25 years and it's my absolute joy and I love it. But I thought I'm getting to an age where I want to, I want to extend my service out further. And although I had to be dragged kicking and streaming into the digital world and there were lots of painful meetings about how we delivered this information that I didn't understand most of it I'm really proud of it because I really think exactly as you say that it can be accessed anywhere and how is it delivered so you get um um a piece of don't ask me the technical side but you get a piece of information delivered into your inbox every day it will either be an mp3 um it could be a video it could be a pdf um, and it will either be a written content 
content or um, yeah, recorded or in some form. Um, and actually, uh, um, in it, I go through each of my five pillars. And for each pillar, you get a little toolkit. And in the toolkit, there's lots of little surprises that will help you. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I think also, you know, so often when you're not conceiving, people just say, be patient, just wait, wait until, you know, there's only so much waiting you can do. But actually your program feels that you're doing something proactive to to achieve the thing that you want more than anything in life. And sometimes there's a lot of not doing in there. I'm encouraging people to not do because I think there's this idea that we can fix everything by doing. And and if I do X, Y and Z, then I will achieve my goal. And sometimes it's like, you know what, you know, you need to, to let go and stop doing for a bit and you know of course this conversation is so different depending on who we're talking to whether we're talking you know whether we're talking to someone who's just started or someone who's you know had a lot of losses and you know and that was the challenge for me as a person creating um the program is how can this be meaningful for everybody and I didn't want to make it too scary for people who were just setting up because then I was worried that I would create the very thing that I was trying to avoid Um, and I didn't want it to be uh, of no meaning for people who had been really trying for a long time so obviously there's a dance that that goes on within that that there's something in there for everyone and that you know it hopefully it touches as many people as possible oh that sounds great well emma's uh 90 day fertile program is on her website have a look at her website it's emma cannon that's uh, c-a-n-n-o-n.co.uk uh it's all on there and um, the, the 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 program costs 90 pounds but there is actually a 10 percent discount if you sign up to the newsletter isn't there emma yeah that's right um her books are also brilliant. Um, the best-selling baby-making Bible is is a real favourite. Um, and her most recent book is actually just about what we've been talking today, so fertile, so also worth worth getting. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really good to talk about something that people don't, another thing that people don't talk about. And I'm sure that there are plenty of women out there who will be listening to this thinking not doing something actually that makes total sense (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's a a lot of power in not doing sometimes we just have to stop and just see what happens as well fantastic marina thank you for listening to today's podcast before you go i do want to ask you a favor we've been overwhelmed by the amount of people who are tuning into the parenthood each week but if you can take a minute to rate and review the parenthood it makes us more visible so more people find us if you feel your friends would like to know about us do share us on social media and you can follow us on instagram we're at theparent.hood. but in the meantime thanks for listening and from emma and me goodbye ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.